2: From the sixth and Peabody Studio and across the Outkick Network, this is Outkick Three Sixty with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Welcome back,
0: Outkick Three Sixty across the Outkick Network. Want to say a big thanks to all of our radio partners. Want to say a big thanks to everyone helping make this show happen today in studio. Jacob Swanson, Tyler Castle. We got Dylan Taylor. We got Adam Brown, our production assistant, and of course. The one and only David Reed, chairman of the board. Jonathan Hutton. There's David Reed. Jonathan Hutton is down in Birmingham, Protective Stadium, joining us. Paul Kuharski will be back with us on Monday. We are six days away from the NFL draft. Plenty of storylines to talk about. We're going to talk about a lot of them next week as well. But wanted to get Hutton to discuss three storylines he's following specifically and, and break those down as we get ready for next Thursday night's first round of the NFL Draft. I've said it before, I'll say it again, one of my favorite events of the year because it's the marriage of two of my favorite things, the NFL and college football in a three day event. So looking forward to the NFL Draft. I know you are as well. Jonathan Hutton with us in Birmingham. Hutton, there are three big things you want to get into and you want to start with someone's final NFL Draft.
2: Kevin Colbert's final NFL draft for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And thinking beyond the, the surface level of next Thursday night's first round, um, thinking beyond who's going number one overall, the first thing that comes to mind for me are the Pittsburgh Steelers and what they decide to do with their first-round selection, Chad, because Kevin Colbert is stepping down, and this was pre-planned after the draft process, and as his final uh, draft concludes as general manager of what's been a great run with Pittsburgh, I'm curious if they decide that they want to set themselves up for a quarterback of the future. That's certainly on the table. That doesn't mean that they have to do that in the first round. Although, if they really like some of these guys, chances are you're going to have to trade up to do it. And it's not, it's not uh, crazy to think Pittsburgh – would would do that considering Ozzie Newsom did it in his final year with the Baltimore Ravens. He traded and went and got Lamar Jackson and then built everything around him moving forward for the franchise. Ben Roethlisberger has retired. They have Mason Rudolph. Of course they, they signed Mitchell Trubisky and sure, he can be a starter but do they like one of these rookies that could be a solution. Maybe they feel like one is a solution. Maybe not in 2022, but down the line. If that's the case, you can set the franchise up moving forward as you conclude your final draft. Not saying that that's how they'll go, but we did see it work for, for Baltimore. Ozzie Newsom did it. Will we see Kevin Colbert do it and, and leave Pittsburgh with a quarterback of the future set up for them if that's first round or beyond? Are they willing to move up? and get a guy who could potentially either fall out of the top 10 or chase a player before another team is able to trade up and draft that, that quarterback. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying I would do it, but Kevin Colbert has scouted these guys and know these guys better and, and knows how to set up the franchise moving forward, and they just have a future Hall of Famer in Ben Roethlisberger who is now entering retirement.
0: Hunt, it's an interesting idea, and, and you know Kevin Colbert's been there, been the GM since 2000 with Pittsburgh. And you've talked about there are coaches and GMs who will do things in order to protect their job, even if that thing is maybe not the best thing for the organization or the best thing for the long-term future of the organization. This is kind of the flip side of that, where a GM could be thinking, I I know I'm not going to have a job because I'm retiring, but yet I want to set up my legacy. And to do that, I need to take a swing on a quarterback so – I'm not the GM that, while I did a lot of good things, I'm also the GM that left my organization with Mitchell Trubisky as the starting quarterback (laughs) and didn't set them up for something better. But this is a dangerous game to play because if you trade up and draft Malik Willis and you give up a lot of capital or a player, then and Malik Willis doesn't work out, you're the GM that drafted Malik Willis who didn't work out for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So. It's, it's a difficult game, but I, I like where you're going with this and, and sort of the choice they have moving forward.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I would say they, they need offensive line help. They could use more help at receiver. Of, you know, they, there are other pieces to the puzzle that will help Pittsburgh immediately and, and then set themselves up for what they want to do at the quarterback position. But I don't think anyone looks around and thinks that who they have right now at quarterback is the long-term solution. Trubisky spent a year in Buffalo and is trying to revitalize things now in Pittsburgh, and he's going to a solid organization with stability from their front office on down. But, again, change is coming to general manager, and with that will be potentially and eventually a new quarterback. Is that this year in the final draft for Colbert? That, that's key here because – If they are going to be aggressive for Malik Willis, that means they're trying to move up, potentially, you know, a a few heavy picks up to spend a price to do that. Um, We haven't seen Pittsburgh do that, right? They've they've had the franchise guy uh, throughout Colbert's tenure there. So it it would be quite the move. And there would be a ripple effect across the, the entire draft based on that selection.
0: Hutton, um, we're going to move on to, to the storyline number two that, that you want to discuss. The Lions, we talked a lot about this pick and whether or not they're going to do something at quarterback in the first round. Number two overall pick, though, you like the Lions going defense, but there is a question about what position they're going to go with defense at that spot. Well, what are your thoughts with the Lions at number two?
2: Well, I, I think they have two options if it's the number two pick and they're going defense. They could go corner with Sauce Gardner, who I think makes a lot of sense, um, and they could go defensive line where they would have options, potentially Aiden Hutchinson, but other options depending on what Jacksonville does with the number one overall selection. So they've got flexibility here. Um, I, would, I would potentially say quarterback could be in the mix, but I think it's later in, in, with their, their final pick in the first round than it is at number two overall. Because I think you have more sure-fire stability with some of these guys than some of these quarterbacks that are available. And also, I, I, in thinking about the whole Jared Goff situation, he's not the long-term guy for Detroit. Um, we, we talked on this throughout the week. If your head coach by middle of the first season with your quarterback in a first year is already saying you need more leadership out of Jared Goff who's on a $100 million contract, something's off there. You know, they're they're not on the same same wavelength. And that means that the coaching staff and the front office would be wanting more. Keep in mind who, who is now there in the front office. Brad Holmes, who was with the scouting department and the front office and with the Rams, he brought with him Ray Agnew, who is now his assistant general manager. Agnew was a scout for the Rams. And Agnew, his specialty is the defensive line. He is now the the assistant general manager for Detroit, working with Brad Holmes, who has worked with him in the past, and Ray Agnew as the assistant GM, if you look at his resume, he was a part of the scouting staffs, and he stood on the table for guys like Chris Long and Robert Quinn and Michael Brockers and Aaron Donald. They brought Agnew into the room for his scouting reports on those players while they were uh, drafted by the Rams, and My guess is with the number of pass rushers or defensive linemen up top in this draft, that's likely the way Detroit leans. And if you're not set on Goff, why not build up your defense instead of giving weapons around Jared Goff, who's going to screw it up anyway. Build up your defense, which needs some pieces to the puzzle at every level, and do it with the background of Agnew and with the background of Brad Holmes who's now in charge making all the draft decisions. I would lean defensive line and pass rush, and you can get a variation of the guy you want there, whether that's you know Trayvon Walker, Trayvon Walker or if they decide to go with Hutchinson, if for some reason Jacksonville passes and they go Walker, uh, Thibodeau. I mean, they, they, they have different guys that to, to choose from, and they have Agnew who has quite the resume of selecting the right one.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the lines this draft, no doubt about it. Also going to be interested to see what happens with Debo Samuel, possibly. Baker Mayfield. Jimmy yep. Garoppolo. Guys that could be moved in this draft. Current players. But Hutton, you've got some teams that they've got some leeway in this draft to, to have some movement, whether it be because of picks or because of players. Who are some of those teams?
2: Well, think back in years past of the, of the drafts where, where teams have had multiple first-round picks and what they've done with that. Um, Tremaine Edmonds was in a draft class for Buffalo as a first-round pick the same year they drafted Josh Allen. So they pair those two together, and those are franchise players now for the Buffalo Bills on offense and defense. And while you may not be able to pair a franchise quarterback high in this draft, there are multiple teams with multiple picks that can set themselves up for the future if the scouting departments and their general managers are on point. Detroit's one of them because they can potentially get Hutchinson at number two and then pair that with a quarterback or corner with the final pick of the first round if they decide to sit and pick at 32 overall. They're one of several. Houston, um, they need edge help. They need help at corner. They need help on the offensive line. Sauce Gardner could be available for them at number three. And then later in the first round, If teams decide to pass on Kayvon Thibodeau, good value for him may be later in the first round with with the Texans who have multiple picks. The Jets, they have pick number four and pick number 10. They need wide receiver help. They're begging for a team to trade them a veteran wide receiver. If they can't find that guy, they can draft that player in the first round. They need help at offensive tackle. They need help at pass rush. Those are two positions where you can pick a guy in the first round and feel pretty good about where you could go there. The Giants are another team. They pick fifth and seventh overall. They need help at offensive line. They need help on the edge. I think there are a number of teams, Chad, who need help at pass rush and offensive tackle. And this is a good draft for that and a poor draft for quarterback, uh, for tight end in the first round. You wait on your running backs now. Um, I, I look at this and I think there are a handful of teams who control the runs on tackle and pass rush. And, and, the, and the list continues with, like, the Eagles, who have traded away one first-round pick, but they still have two, 15 and 18. They could potentially get a a, a Trey Burks, for instance, from Arkansas um, and, and pair him with a defensive player. They, they can set themselves up on rookie contracts with some really good franchise contributors. Or, as you just mentioned, we should mention Debo Samuel in this. Because if he's going to be moved, it's going to be moved the day of the draft, if not the day before the draft. And teams with multiple picks have the draft capital to make a trade like that work with San Francisco.
0: So speaking of poor, Ryan Tannehill, a poorly timed yeah. Instagram post uh, today where it is a sponsored ad where it's Ryan Tannehill out fishing, talking about getting recharged. And it's something with Celsius, some uh, sort of drink. Hutton, this is one of two things with Ryan Tannehill. This is a a, a deliberate middle finger to anyone daring to question him for not being at voluntary workouts right now, or this is just complete stupidity by either his social media team, his manager, or him in not being aware enough to know how this is going to look Uh, with this going on and with this debate going on around Ryan Tannehill and him being a leader of this Titans offense, given the horrible performance and the playoff loss to Cincinnati uh, this past January. What were your thoughts when you first saw this Instagram post?
2: I thought to myself, that's the first time I've seen Ryan Tannehill all offseason. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that's the key. I, I want to I hear from him. I know the media does. I know the fans do. Um, the way the CBA is set up, they make these voluntary uh, OTAs exactly that, voluntary. And, you know, Vrabel and Robinson can sit up a press conference and say they'd love for him to be there, uh, but they understand the situation and what players can or can't decide to do. You know where I come from on this. Um, if, if I'm the franchise quarterback, I act like it, and I'm, I'm there. And if I'm not there, the wide receivers and tight ends are with me, and we're, we're working and I, I've seen video of him working with, with some of the wideouts. Um, but, Chad, you, 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 know, you know my thinking on this. When you think of the wide receiver quarterback tandems in the NFL, how long does it take you to mention Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown? You have to go through a, a number of, of, of relationships like that before you mention those guys. If I say mention the top wide receivers in the NFL, it doesn't take me that long to think of A.J. Brown. And... That, that needs to improve. A.J. needs to stop dropping the football so often. He would admit that. Tannehill needs to play better in key moments. And if, if, if they work out in the postseason in January, that's where I'm judging them. That's where you'll judge them. That's where ultimately the league will and the Titans will judge Ryan Tannehill. Uh, not in the month of April. But this time of year, perception is reality. I believe that. And if he's you know out on a boat cruising around getting recharged – you know, there are players like Kevin Byard who every offseason, uh, it ends prior to the first voluntary OTA, where Kevin Byard gets recharged by rejoining his team for voluntary workouts. That's just the truth, and that's a fact. Certain leaders step up and speak to the media on behalf of the team on, a, on a, any time they're asked to do it. Some aren't there, and Tannehill wasn't there to do it. Byard was. Ben Jones was. Those guys deserve credit. Uh, for, for being there and, and leading a team in a situation where Tannehill's not there. And by the way, he doesn't have to be there. Um, I, know, I know Vrabel or, or Robinson One said that Tannehill will be there soon. My guess is next week. Those workouts are also voluntary. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very poorly timed Instagram post. And my guess is the same way these guys are deleting Tennessee or San Francisco or any mention of their team off their social media – it's a it's a poorly timed post, but it's by no accident. Uh, none of those posts are by accident.
0: Well, and if it's not by accident, uh, again, I, I just I don't know what Ryan Tannehill is thinking or doing. The AJ Brown, we can I can disagree with the method he's going about doing it, but I know what his goal is. I know that he's trying to get paid. Ryan Tannehill is getting paid too much money right now for his production. Well, what what does he have to be pissed off about? He should be thrilled. Pay me $40 million a year and watch me show up to every voluntary team activity. Watch me show up to everything. And this this story has me irrationally angry because everyone wants to say, well, what about this player? What about that player who's not there? And talk about this guy. and Talk about that guy just like Tano. No. We talk about quarterbacks more. We talk about quarterbacks more on this show every day. Why? They're the damn quarterback. I don't care what another leader on another position group is doing as much as the quarterback, especially when that quarterback is responsible for a failure in the playoffs. And if you want to compare him to someone, Hutton, you brought up the name to compare him to. What is Kevin Byard doing? Kevin Byard's the leader of that defense, no doubt about it. He is the undisputed champion and leader of that defense. Why? Because he's there. Because he's accountable. Because he'll fall on the sword. Because he'll take up for his teammates. Because he'll take responsibility for his failures. Meanwhile, Ryan Tannehill is out there uh, uh, fishing for damn sea bass out on, somewhere <laughs> on the ocean right now and posting about it. While everyone else is, or I, I, it, it, it drives me insane to watch this. Derrick Henry's the leader of that offense, and that should not be the case. The quarterback should be the leader. Taylor Lewan is the loudest. On the offense. A.J. Brown is becoming the loudest on the offense. He's the most talented guy on the offense. Derek Henry is the stalwart of the offense and probably seen as the leader. Meanwhile, Ryan Tannehill is getting out of town as quick as possible, not speaking to media. When he fails, he says it's a team effort and it's on all of us and we all have to get better. Give me a break. I am so tired of this guy. And the Titans are completely, they're, they're, in handcuffs with him right now. I understand that. I know they can't do anything. But unless there's a complete about-face by him, I am out. I am completely out, and this is yet another step to me being out. And if you're telling me this was on purpose, the the one thing that I, I I will say is, if it's some idiot intern in PR for whatever company he's working for and working with that has no idea what's going on with the story, and they posted it, I feel like it would have come down by now. I feel like if Ryan Tannehill had issue with it and was concerned about the optics of it, he would have had that post taken down. That hasn't happened. This bothers me so much.
2: Yeah, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't add up. It is a bad look, and you compared it to AJ and him not being there, two completely different situations. We, going into the offseason, when their season ended, one game into the postseason, at home for the second consecutive year. No one's questioning whether or not A.J. Brown's coming back in 2022 and performing at a Pro Bowl-like level. If A.J. Brown's on the field, that guy's going to produce. There were tons of questions about Ryan Tannehill's performance. And moving forward, there will continue to be. But ultimately, Chad, we're not – by the time September rolls around, the first voluntary OTA is not going to be and mean all that much. That's just – I know this time of year, because of the availability, it's the first availability with the, with the players. So that's why it's magnified for the offseason. Um, where it will be brought up is with the rapport uh, with his wide receivers and the passing game, tight ends, new tight end there, new passing game coordinator. Um, and while the coaches can't be on the field coaching those guys, I do, I do think it sets an example. And you mentioned Bayard. Bayard's there to set an example. And – When you look around for leaders on the offense, it starts at quarterback. Whether or not he's wearing the C on his chest or not, you start at quarterback for lead by example. And in this case, no one in any organization is going to point to a player that decides not to show up for voluntary workouts without a valid excuse as setting a good example for the organization. That's just a fact. And it's hard to argue that when there's a photo of him deep-sea fishing, as you said, going after sea bass, I would hope it's more like swordfish, uh, but but nonetheless, it would, it would be something I would order at a five-star restaurant.
0: Yeah, Kevin Byard is there. He's accountable. Uh, he's a leader. Meanwhile, the example being set by Ryan Tannehill is about great fitness drinks uh, with Celsius and his <laughs> partnership. So some example, the quarterback of the Titans is setting for everyone. Uh, Hutton, we'll get back with you in about 20, 25 minutes from Birmingham, but... When we come back, we're going to talk with Bobby Carpenter. Um, Bobby Carpenter is there right now. He's ready to go. I'm going to ask Bobby about Ryan Tannehill and his thoughts on all of this. And what an amazing photo, if you're watching right now, of Bobby Carpenter. We'll probably ask him about this photo as well. Plenty of college football and NFL to get into with Bobby when we come back. One of our favorite guests of the week, Bobby Carpenter, coming up next on OutKick 360.
1: You ready?
2: Showtime.
0: We are back on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton's in Birmingham. Paul Koharski out today. So it's just me in studio, but we got a cast of thousands making this show happen, as always, including David Reed, the chairman of the board, who is here with us. Bobby Carpenter is also here with us, and he joins us every Friday on the show from up in Columbus, Ohio. Outkick football analyst Bobby Carpenter. Uh, Bobby, uh, we had a great picture of you uh, with, the, with the long hair and with a mustache uh, that, we, that we showed earlier. We're showing it right now as well. Um, I want to ask you about Pat Tillman. We had Coach uh, Mac, Dave McGinnis on earlier talk about Pat Tillman and his legacy on this, the anniversary of his death. You had a little bit of a Pat Tillman look, uh, I noticed, uh, in that photo. And in all seriousness, his legacy obviously extends beyond football. Uh, with what all that guy was about.
1: Uh, it really does. And it's amazing that you were able to dig up that picture. Um, I I know kind of, I would say timeline. I think that was my second year in the NFL. I grew out the mustache. I had to shave it because I got married that off season. So I know it wasn't after that. Um, I have no idea why I'm doing what I'm doing or anything surrounding that picture or where you found it. But with all fairness to Pat Tillman, you mentioned that that. that he passed away. In the summer, I believe, or in between my sophomore and junior year, and uh, AJ Hawk, Anthony Schlegel, and myself were linebackers at Ohio State. And, like, man, like, that dude was amazing. Like, you read the Sports Illustrated article, you know, with him on the cover and deciding to, you know, give up playing football, passing up what at the time was a very big contract to go and serve the country and serve overseas. And it it was just so honorable. You love the way that he played on the field, but just how much he loved his country and the patriotism and the fact that. You know, in a society, in an era now where we you know, gravitate towards dollars and social media likes and, you know, things that are really inconsequential, they're, they're fame, they're simply, you know, cons- constructs of the mind as opposed to doing things that are tangible. Pat Tillman was about tangible action. Uh, you know, he ultimately lost his life serving our country. And that was the reason, that was the impetus, you know, for, for us growing our hair out. And I, you know, had it like that for 10 years, you know, and, hopes to maybe honor his name, bring some awareness to it, bring some attention to a guy who was a hero of mine, uh, not just on the football field, but really for everything that he embodied as an American.
0: Yeah, no no doubt about it. I I echo everything you said, and it's incredible uh, hearing those stories earlier from Coach Mack. But Bobby Carpenter on with us now. Bobby, I want to ask you about this Ryan Tannehill situation, which obviously has me ranting about it, and, and maybe I'm a little too upset with it, but there's just something about the whole thing from that game in the playoffs to now, that this is the first time we hear from Ryan Tannehill all offseason is with this post about fishing and, and getting recharged. Um, I understand the definition of voluntary. And, and people that are going to defend any, any, any NFL player that doesn't show up, they're going to say, well, it's voluntary. I get all that. But isn't there a higher expectation for the $40 million quarterback coming off a three-interception loss in the playoffs? with a new passing game coordinator, that even if it's voluntary, you show up or you give a reason as to why not publicly or you just talk more, you say more about the season, about the offseason, is there any obligation there or, or am I
1: overreaching? So you kind of hit on a little bit of it there. Number one, I mean, you're a quarterback, and so you have a different set of rules. You get paid twice as much as the next highest paid position. We're talking wide receivers, 20, 20 some million dollars now. Quarterbacks are making in the 40s, 50s. And that's there's a reason for that. They're the most important position. They're the face of the franchise. They're the leader. So should they be at everything? Absolutely. Is it optional? Yeah, it's voluntary. But like you said, you have to understand the narrative and the story and all of the surrounding information that goes into this. And the fact that, yeah, they lost last year in the playoffs. Three interception game by Ryan Tannehill. Final interception probably cost them the game. And so they had a good team around them, failed to perform. I've never been on a team in seven years where our quarterback wasn't at every single voluntary activity outside of like a significant uh, commitment that he would have or family personal emergency. Like You know, you're not out there because you're going fishing and not going on vacation with friends so if you want to miss a day here or there, that's fine. I know we live in a social media world. I wouldn't be posting about that. Your fans really don't want to hear about it. Your teammates are probably good. I bet I'm guessing he has a fairly good relationship with his teammates and they're on board. I get why A.J. Brown, I understand why. Hey, I'm not going to participate on this on-field stuff when I'm trying to get a new contract. And I don't think it's necessarily holding out for leverage as much as it is like, hey, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to you know blow out my knee or have something happen. If I'm Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, one of these guys who you're right there on the brink of real probably getting that extension done. Quarterback's different. And I, I do I'll add another layer in this for you, Chad as well. So you know, Mike Vrabel and I, you know, pretty, pretty close, both went to Ohio State. And you know, he would always come back and train in the offseason and he would give up his workout bonus. Belichick would always put it in there and he would give up his workout bonus to be back there during the just the workouts because our offseason used to be a lot longer he'd come back for the on-field activities he'd be there for mini camp and for the on-field practices and otas and bill would always get frustrated with it and mike wasn't the quarterback as well tom brady was always there and he was there going to be there every day and so i think Vrabe's understands it you know to a certain extent of hey I, i get you want your personal time as long as you're showing up in shape and knowing what to do but you do have a new offensive coordinator you know, you are trying to make sure that your 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 team is improving, and that you're like feel like you're kind of close, and trying to be able to break through. And to do that, you would think that you would do everything that you possibly could to try to be able to succeed. And so I and you play quarterback, which is it, it's not insignificant in mentioning that because everybody leans back into it. I think he should be there. You think he should be there? Does he have to be there? No. But a lot of great players like who is joke like. You know, it's optional, but so is winning. So is playing like those things aren't guaranteed. So if you want to win, usually you do a little bit more and they've tightened up the offseason now to the point where you're not there for 15 weeks. You know, it's seven, eight weeks for the most part. So go there, take care of your business and get home.
0: Yeah. Amen to that. I want to talk some NFL draft with you, Bobby. Who's your favorite quarterback in this draft? Do you see a guy is high first round worthy? Uh, if so, who is that guy, and who's at the top of your board for quarterbacks
1: in this draft? I mean, Malik Willis, I think, is probably the most talented. But, you know, I look at him, he's a little short. You know, he's got all the measurables. I watched him play. I called their Syracuse game this year. I, I like what he does. He's a tough guy. I think he gets it, understands offense. But I don't know if there's a guy this year that I would say it would be a first-round you know, capable quarterback. You know, you start you know, looking around. You've got Kenny Pickett. You know, he was won a lot. He's played a lot. He, you might feel the most confident with him day one. I think Malik Willis has the most upside. You know, like Desmond Ritter, you know, he's pretty talented. You know, he has some deficiencies, but there's not a guy that I look at and say, you know what, this is a guy that I would feel great taking in the top five. Or a guy that if he slid to 12 and we're sitting at 18 or 20, or like the Saints, 16 and 18, we'd want to go up and get. If, one of, if a quarterback like Malik Willis falls to the Saints, maybe they take him. Kenny Pickett's there and they really like him. Maybe they take him. But it wouldn't shock me if there isn't a quarterback taken, you know, in the top 10 picks and maybe one taken in the teens or, you know, or 10s to 20s. Like it just – it doesn't really seem like that year where anybody – these teams that are needy, like they kind of said – they look at like the Falcons, what they did. They brought in Marcus Mariota, you know, Jameis uh, James Winston in New Orleans. Like it feels like this was kind of a Band-Aid year in hopes – of maybe trying to get a guy next year in a much better class. And if one of these guys falls to us, and or maybe they're there like at pick, you know, twenty-eight or twenty seven, maybe we trade up out of the second round to get them. But I just don't really feel after talking to some you know coaches and front office guys that there's anyone that people truly love in this draft.
0: Bobby, you know that you're set at a position group at your alma mater when I ask you this question Who is your favorite Ohio State wide receiver? in this
1: year's draft. That's tough. I mean, <laughs> I think Garrett Wilson is probably a little more complete-ish. Um, you know, he ran a lot faster than he th- I thought he would. I thought he'd run in the you know in the four fours, maybe be a 4-5 guy. If he came out, busted out a 4-3, and I'm like, all right, the guy's great at high point in the football. He's great at run after the catch. He's great at contested ball catcher. You know, he can, run, he can play inside. He can play outside. He's an elite route runner. All right, he's probably 6'1, not the biggest frame in the world, but you can use him in a multitude of ways, and he's really smart. You know, Chris Olave, great top end linear speed, does a great job at the top of the route tree, the sevens, eight, nines, your posts, takeoffs, and corners. Great with slants. He can run some come, he can run comebacks and do some stops, st- start and stop such stuff, but maybe not quite as good, you know, running back-ish with his ball, the ball in his hand like Garrett Wilson. I would probably lean to Garrett Wilson if I had a guy that I needed to go in there and be ultimately the man like A.J. Brown. If I wanted a guy who was going to be, and I use the term compliment loosely, because I think Chris Olave is going to put up big numbers, but if you want a guy that can stretch the field, go downtown, be a home run threat for you, I would say that he's probably your man.
0: So Lincoln Riley penned a letter to Oklahoma fans about his abrupt departure from USC. And Bobby, I see this and I think, just spare it. Just don't. (laughs) I don't, I, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, I don't want this. I, I don't need this. You know, Lane Kiffin had a very awkward press conference when he left Tennessee for USC back in the day that we've all seen since then where his thinking was, I really just appreciated the media and the way they covered the team and wanted to say something and then felt like I owed it. I, I don't feel like he owes this. And if I'm Oklahoma, I don't want it. What do you think about this letter?
1: But yeah, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of that. Um, I think if you want to say something initially, really love my time in Oklahoma. heading, you know, heading out USC or wherever you're going and talking about that, and you just talk, hey, it was really tough to leave. I loved it there. Loved everything about it. Great fans, great team, and you know, just felt it was time to move on or whatever reason you want to give. But eventually, you just ripped the Band-Aid off. And you know, I liken it a little bit to this. like Fans, they, they don't ultimately care about the reasoning. You know, you, all they know is, is that you left. And, you know, I was playing in the NFL, you know, I got caught a couple of times and people would ask me, you know, would you ask, you know, after the second time, you know, and you let the coach talk or the the general manager and whatever. And they're like, well, did did you ask him? It doesn't make any sense. And I'm like asking and giving more for them, giving me more information isn't going to change the result. So why do I really care? You know, I'm no longer part of this. Like your coach left. These, these fans, like they don't care. I mean, we've got our guy now we feel good about it. And so I understand you know, that after you pillaged a lot of our recruits, you you know, you took uh, took our quarterback. You know, we're in a bad spot now. And now you want to kind of reach out and be like, hey, here's an olive branch. I really like you guys. And I felt like I owed it to you. That's not doing anything for me. Just everyone understands how it works now in college football. Move on. You, you tell your team. Maybe you say something in the press conference. But dropping something out there months later like this, I don't understand the purpose. And I think it's falling on deaf ears.
0: Bobby, some NCAA rule changes. Uh, the Kenny Pickett rule has been greenlit where you can't start to fake the slide and then not do it and continue running, which I, I think is, is a worthy rule uh, to put into the game. The one that I have an issue with is the faking of injuries where they didn't address it with a rule, but now you can appeal it after the fact. And now I think, well, what would a league do to a team after the fact? Do penalize them moving forward for that? or their suspensions I mean, how do you regulate that? What did you think about some of these NCAA rule changes we saw this week?
1: Yeah, You know, like the appeal, like who are you appealing it to, number one? Is it like a committee? Is this a conference thing? Like there's so much ambiguity around it. And then like you said, what are the penalties? Because this isn't like the NFL where you can fine a team or maybe take away a draft pick or something like that. What is ultimately going to come from it? You know, what do you write him a sternly worded letter? I'm trying to think how you penalize someone. Well, and it
0: doesn't Lock- help the team that was hurt by it, right? For the team yes. to fake the injuries, like, uh, well, great. So now they're going to lose all these players for their next game, and it's going to help that opponent, which may also not help me if it's a division opponent or whatever it may be. So it's it's all very weird how how it's worded.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like the NCAA, like they're trying to, I think, get some positive momentum out here because they've just been beaten to a pulp the last year with nil and with the transfer portal and everything else and so they're trying to probably hey we're trying to address this stuff we're trying to do some things if you want to do something the one rule that everybody hates is the targeting rule and how it's enforced and the subjectivity to it like make that a targeting one targeting two like it's flagrant fouls and you have to get a two to get kicked out and like do something that people actually enjoy the the injury thing I feel like everybody wants to correct it, but I'm not sure I've seen a good solution of how to do it when you're faking. Unless if a guy comes out, he has to maybe stay out for the whole drive or something like that. And maybe that gets guys to stay in a little bit more. I'm not sure. But, like, it didn't really feel like there was a solution to that. And so what are you really putting the rule out there for? Like, I I don't know what it's ultimately going to solve.
0: Bobby Carpenter, one of the very best. Bobby Before you join us next week, can you grow out that hair and a mustache in time to replicate the photo that Jacob Swanson and Tyler Castle somehow found of you?
1: Gosh, uh, those guys, they're on my hit list now. Um, (laughs) Although that stuff's floating around. You know, that one was a very unique one, by the way. But I I know I can't grow the hair fast enough. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I shave like two or three times a week. It took me that mustache all training camp to get it that long. I grew a beard, and then I hacked it off and just had the mustache all season. So that was like probably six months of growth right there. I mean, that's the best you're getting from me. My chances of reproducing that, Chad, in a week, I mean, <laughs> Low? you got a better chance of Kyrie Irving coming back to Sanity
0: <laughs> Land. So uh, it's funny because this reminds me, Tom Brady tweeted out something to Elon Musk and says, hey, Elon, now can you scrub the uh, the photo, the shirtless photo of me from the internet? You know, if Elon Musk can successfully... Get Twitter, maybe Bobby, you can have that photo scrubbed. Also, who knows?
1: I know that there's people that have had that stuff done. I've I've heard of those things. I don't personally know anybody. And listen, it's not embarrassing enough for me to go, you know, go all out on it. I mean, I had it, I rocked it for a year, got some great pictures. It just looks like I played in 1970, <laughs> 76, and not 2006. I
0: think it's a good look. I think you should go back with it, and hopefully by next week you'll have the same look, Bobby. Thanks so much, man. Always fun. Talking some football with you. Really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks, man. Hopefully, you can get some friends back. I mean, Paul I and Hutton, I mean, they just abandoned yeah. you there by yourself.
0: Look, uh, unlike Ryan Tannehill, I show up. You know, that's what I do. <laughs> I show up no matter what. I'm, I'm always here. I'm a fixture. Bobby, thank well you so much, man. Appreciate it. Thank so, you. the Memphis Grizzlies showed up in the second half last night. We'll discuss with Jonathan Hutton, who's down in Birmingham at Protective Stadium, when we come back. This is Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. We are back with OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. I'm Chad Withrow, live in the 6th and Peabody studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer, downtown Nashville. I had this short rib taco from the White Duck taco stand here at 6th and Peabody yesterday. Um, I just say that to say that I'm thinking about it right now because it was that good. And I might have one again before the end of the show. Jonathan Hutton's got a number of concession options because he's down at Protective Stadium with the USFL in Birmingham right now. Uh, Hutton, how about the Memphis Grizzlies last night? I'll be honest, I didn't tune in to see the entirety of the 26-point comeback. Got back from uh, Evie's softball game and from coaching. Turned on the television, and I think at the time it was like a four- or five-point game, and the announcers are just going nuts. Boy, what a development in this game. Can this continue? And I'm thinking... Seems like a pretty standard five-point NBA game in the fourth quarter. It was anything but last night for the Memphis Grizzlies.
2: I'll be, I'll be honest with you, too. I, I did not uh, tune in live to this. I was at an event with, with Kevin Byard and Golden Tate for the First Shot Foundation. Shout out to them and the great work they're doing. Uh, they provide uh, camp resources for, like, basketball camp for underprivileged youth in the inner city. Um, and, and, again, shout out to them for, for hosting what was a great event. 26-point deficit. And when I saw the headline, I clicked and watched the, head, the, the, the highlights late last night when I got home. And I, I think the, the one thing that comes to mind for me is gri- the Grizzlies are fearless when it, when it comes to the, the, the style uh, of play. They're exciting. Um, I will not here and, and sit here and pretend I watch the NBA on a regular basis. In fact, you know, uh, at, at one point I did. I, I, I subscribed to that league pass uh, or whatever they call it. And I don't do that anymore. But Grizzlies are just not top of mind for me. They will be now, Chad, because of the the star power of John Morant. But beyond that, they they have more than just Steven Adams down low. And that was a matchup problem for them in this series. And they've had guys step up off their bench and throughout their roster that lead to them being more fearless one through five and allow them to pull off the comeback that they did.
0: Yeah, John Morant moves in a way and makes plays that's so unique, uh, even to the NBA with the, that level of athlete. It's it's incredible. Desmond Bain has a pure stroke. That was a big part of them getting back yeah. in the game. And there was a pass, I know you watched the highlights, but where John Morant looked like he was going to go up and maybe get fouled at the basket and instead does this whip around fastball with his left hand to Bain for a three. And I'm thinking that is one of the better passes – I've ever seen going out of bounds, and he did it with his offhand. It was amazing to watch.
2: Well, he, uh, he recorded the franchise's first-ever playoff triple-double last night, and he, he actually struggled shooting the ball, but he had 16-10-10. That's the first time the Grizzlies in the playoffs have had a player go for a triple-double, and he does it uh, in, 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 a, in a, a lot of different facets that make him great. Um, he has that competitive fire and that energy of wanting to always rise to the next level and raise the bar that's contagious. Like, not just with his teammates. I'm saying, like, to watch. Um, and the, the way his ability to dish is one of those things. Like, it, the ball in his hands, I don't care if he shoots, if he's going for a highlight reel dunk, if, if he's passing. It, he's going to make it look so easy that it's awesome. And, yes. and there, there are only a handful of players that do that to that extent like it's never a struggle watching him with the basketball even if he's struggling to shoot he finds other ways to entertain me as a viewer and that's rare and, and that's why I'm going to gravitate more towards the Grizzlies right now than what I have to this point at any point in the regular season
0: you know every year Hutton I feel like we're having the same conversation where we're looking for that team to gravitate towards and watch yeah. in a playoff run and I'm watching the Grizzlies and thinking why not the Grizzlies I'm not attached to the city of Memphis and I don't necessarily watch the Grizzlies like, oh, this is Tennessee's team. But I like the team. I like the makeup of them. I love watching John Morant. So this is one that interests me maybe as much or more than any other team right now in the NBA playoffs. So I'll continue uh, watching, even if it's only the final five minutes of the game after I coach softball. I'm going to continue tuning hey, in to the final five minutes.
2: And if you want more, I won't, I won't go as far to say a college style. But another team to watch that doesn't get a lot of hype is Dallas. Yes. In their, their last two playoff games, they have hit 43s. That's crazy. They hit 18 threes last night. In the game two, I think they, they hit like 22. And uh, Jalen Brunson is, is a big reason for their turnaround and how they've played. He scored 31 points. He put up 41 in game two. And they took a 2-1 t- series lead over, o- over the Jazz. I would point to Dallas – but because of proximity to the Mid-South, I'm with you on the Grizzlies.
0: Yeah, and I'm watching some of the Mavs game the other night. I'm thinking, I don't even know what sport they're playing. They have like two seven-footers <laughs> I've never heard of that are just draining yeah. threes from deep. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fun team to watch for sure. Uh, also fun, Brent Hobbs, VolQuest.com. He's going to join us next. We'll talk some Tennessee football recruiting. Talk about the faking injuries NCAA rule change uh, and how yes. that may affect Josh Heupel squad that's all coming up next this is out kick 360